First of all, before I get started, I want to just extend my sincere thanks for your support uh, to the ministry of the Carpenters Project, all those things that you have uh, on the wall, but also your faithful support to the Timothy Project and the pastors that are planting churches uh, in Africa, Asia, and even in the Caribbean. You know, Pastor Ken is a very, very special friend. We knew each other when he even was pastoring in Florida. And there was, um, there was one Sunday he called me while I was in Florida. He said, John, can you come over? And we're going to have a missions emphasis Sunday, and the theme is going to be on the persecuted church. He said, I'd like for you just to bring a message on the persecution that the churches overseas are, are experiencing. Well, when you want to talk on the subject of the persecuted church, you know, your first thought might go to Revelation chapter 2, where the church of Smyrna is mentioned. But um, I went there, and I started getting on tangents of chasing rabbits, and I thought, you know, this message wasn't really all that uh, pointed, I guess. But we got done with the service. It was in the foyer, much like yours out there, and a... People were coming, looking at our display, and this lady, about 80 years old, walked up to me, and she didn't want to talk. She just handed me a check that was folded in half and said, I want this to go to the persecuted church. So I put it in my pocket, and, you know, you're, you're talking to others, and, and um, we're putting up our display, and we're getting ready to go out to lunch with uh, Pastor Ken and Jen. And we get in the car, and I, I, I told my wife, Sue, I said, oh, by the way, a lady came up and gave us uh, an offering in the foyer. And I pulled the check out and gave it to her. And we're, we're going down the road to the restaurant. And Sue says to me, did you look at this check? And I said, no. Expecting, the, you know, the typical gift that you, that you get spontaneously. She started counting the zeros, and it was $10,000. Now, at that time, we were new in the ministry. It was 2007. We, we were not looking for monthly support, never had been up until that point. But she said she wanted to go to the persecuted church, and that caused me to really, really uh, assess what we were doing in the ministry. And uh, talked to Burhanu uh, because we had been close friends. And I was trying to find out how could our ministry become more involved in the persecuted church overseas. And we came up with the concept of the Timothy Project, sponsoring men going into the bush um, on a temporary basis until they get established. And with $10,000, we, talking to Burhanu, and I was working to, directly with him to begin this, the ministry. We could support seven men for almost 15 months. And I decided that this would be how we would use that seed money to start doing the Timothy Project ministry as a part of ours. Um, having never raised support, always just going talking about projects, I said, well, I guess I'm going to have to start asking for support. Because not for me, but f for these men, to keep them on the field. 
I can keep them on the field for 15, but you can't start a church in 15 months. So uh, the Lord blessed. I started talking about the ministry, and then churches like yours began to give. And um, here we are now, what, 15 to 16 years later, we have supported nearly 100 men over the years. You know, many are supported for just five years, and then they, you know, they're, they're gone, they're on their own, and then you have other batches of men to come in. And 95 churches are meeting today around the world because of the Carpenters Project Timothy program. And you are a part of that because it all began in a church that Pastor Kim was uh, pastoring in Winter Haven, Florida at the time. It was a year before he came here. So we're so thankful. And every time I see Pastor Ken, it's special to me because uh, it brings back those memories. But turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm going to talk just uh, briefly this morning about Satan's toolbox. You know, Satan has tools that he will use to try to get in our way as we share the gospel with others. It, it happens to you and me. We can see it happening to us even in our country. But it happens all over the world and to men uh, trying to uh, win souls for Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, it says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you today and we look at these verses, may we be reminded that we do have an adversary, but greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And may we see today and be aware of the tools that our adversary may use to try to minimize and um, hinder the spread of the gospel. Father, we just pray your blessings on this church and on these families represented here today that we might be uh, glorifying your son in all that we say and do today and going forward. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's verse 3, the goal, or the, excuse me, the gospel is hid to them that are lost. Those that we are most burdened about seeing come to Christ have been blinded. The gospel has been hidden to them. And uh, it, that's true, too, for missionaries. And you are a missionary just as the men uh, in our Timothy project. You have opportunities every day to share the gospel, but something always seems to stand in the way, either a lack of boldness on our part or some outside external influence tends to hinder our ability to spread the gospel. And there are three tools today I wanted to just kind of... Um, um, how should I say? I don't want to delve too deeply into it, but 
Well, we want to look at three ways that Satan uh, can, can affect our ability to share. The first tool in Satan's toolbox is people, individuals. They can become uh, some of the most uh, violent and, and uh, uh, persistent uh, obstacles in the path of getting the gospel to those that don't know Christ. It reminds me of one of these first seven men that we picked up in the Timothy Project in Ethiopia. His name was Getachu. Getachu was uh, a teenager when he met Burhanu. Getachu was a Muslim, and he lived in southern Ethiopia in a 100% Muslim uh, town. There, there was no other face in that town but, but Islam. And mosques, two mosques in this little town. And uh, Burhanu had some opportunity to witness Gitachu, to and Gitachu didn't accept the Lord immediately, but after a couple other visits that Burhanu made uh, to the town, they met up, and Gitachu came to Christ. He was the very first convert that we're aware of in that, in that little town. Um, Gitachu then got mentored because being the first, Burhanu just kind of latched on to him and made him a project, so to speak. And he grew, and he grew, and finally he felt the call uh, of God to, to share the Christ with his friends, his teenage friends and other families and extended relatives. And he began to do that, and and Lord began to bless. And he started a little... Um, informal church in his front yard. He had a, a, a mud house. It was about 10 by 10. It was a tool shed originally, and he opened it up, and he made it a place for people to come and um, uh, sing songs and, and hear a message from God's Word. So that began to get noticed by the community, and what happened was nobody wanted any Christian worship in that area. So Little by little, they began to uh, give him a hard time. They started out by uh, some other teenagers or other people in town destroying his garden. And uh, that didn't disturb, uh, stop him, so they kind of escalated, and uh, they started uh, beating him with sticks when he would walk uh, from one village to the next to visit people. They uh, elevated it even further later on, they killed one of his animals, a cow that he had, which is like taking away his tractor in a sense because he was a subsistent farmer. And it just kept getting worse and worse. And finally, not finally, but the next step was they, they beat his wife. And they beat his wife when he was gone one day so severely she was uh, unconscious when he got home. And she was in her third trimester of pregnancy and they didn't know if she would even uh, carry the baby full term. But the baby was born healthy a, a couple months later, and um, we thought maybe that was the end of it. One day, his oldest daughter, who was around 17 or 18 at the time, had gone, walked to town to get some food or something to bring back, and didn't come home. They had no idea. They went out and they searched for her, and... Uh, couldn't find her. 
they finally just gave up because after all the searching and that they did, there was, there was no evidence or sign of what happened to her. Until a year later, they see her coming back home, walking from a distance, back to the house. And they recognized her right away. And she was carrying a baby. And uh, when, she, when they got up close, it was kind of like the prodigal son returning. And they came and they just embraced her and said, what happened? We, we thought we gave you up for dead. And she said, I got kidnapped on the way back by the chief of police, a man that was supposed to be there to protect the, the citizens. He offered her a ride home because she knew him. And uh, instead of taking her home, he, he took her um, miles away and, and gave her to some men to put her into the human trafficking uh, trade. The reason that she came home was because she was of no value to them, the traffickers, anymore, having a baby. And they just let her go. So Gitachu, so angry, went to the chief of police and said, why? Why did you do that? And he said, well, she's a Christian. She doesn't mean anything to me. And that's the kind of opposition that Gitachu was facing, trying to share the gospel to those in his village. Those that he was most concerned about and loved the most was the ones that hated him the most. And individuals can become a tremendous obstacle in our, in our ministries. Katachu still is there today, but he's kind of a broken man because uh, at every turn, the church is still going, but he's not pastoring. One of the men he trained is pastoring it because he's, he's been broken so much from all that, that uh, Satan has thrown his way. But then there's another tool in Satan's toolbox, and that's religion. Now, we talked a little bit about maybe the anger that those individuals felt because they were Muslim. But in Ethiopia, uh, there is as many Ethiopian Orthodox as there are Muslims. And another man that we supported was by the name of Ezra. He was a single guy. And uh, he went through the training program of, that Burhanu offered. And he went up into the northern part of Ethiopia, into a strong Orthodox area. And he began, as, as most will, in starting the church. He got into the market area and on the streets, passing out literature, seeing who might be curious to know about Christ, and starting trying to start a uh, Bible study in his apartment, his, the room that he was renting. And that was going pretty well. But, and then one day, uh, he was on the market street, and he saw this guy in a robe uh, crossing the street. And he recognized him as a seminary student in the Orthodox uh, seminary that was in Gondor. And they, they connected, and began to chat, and the student said to him, as a student found out that he wasn't Orthodox, uh, how much of the Bible have you been given to study and to read. And Ezra, our, our fellow, said, well, I have the whole Bible, Old and New Testament. He says, well, all they will give us is just one sliver. Um, I don't know what sliver that is, but it's like they might get like one um, small book of Paul's epistle or maybe one of the uh, minor prophets, and that's all they have to know about uh, the Bible. 
So this, this seminary student said to Ezra, can you get me a whole Bible? Well, Ezra immediately thought, well, if that's all the Bible that they're allowing him to read and study, he doesn't probably know the Lord at all. So he said, I'll, I can get you a Bible and I'll give you one if you promise me to let me show you how to study the Bible in its entirety, which was his way to bring the gospel to him. So they agreed. A week or so later, Ezra had a Bible. They met. And in two hours, walking from Genesis uh, through Calvary uh, as quickly as he could, he explained the gospel to this student, and the student accepted Christ right there with him. Well, apparently he went back to the to seminary, shared the, his experience with some other students, and before long, they were students one by one coming to Ezra, asking him for a Bible. And every time Ezra would say, if you will let me show you how to study the Bible in its entirety, you know, I'll get you a Bible. Well, he had over a dozen men from that cemetery accept Christ in that same way as that first fellow. And it became uh, apparently known in the seminary what was going on. And uh, it wasn't well taken at all. The students were even threatened about meeting him. They were coming to his Bible study. And uh, one day while he was out on the uh, passing out tracts and doing things, he went back to his, uh, his room and somebody had thrown a hand grenade inside the room while he was gone and just destroyed everything inside. Posted a note on the door and said, if anyone... Um, fellowships or meets with him, they may su uh, suffer the same fate. So they decided that, okay, it's getting a little bit, you know, elevated. What we'll do is we'll um, meet in different places every week, and they'll announce a different place to meet. And that went on for a short time. But then one day, Ezra didn't show up to that assigned place where they were supposed to meet. And uh, to this day, we don't know exactly what, what happened to him. He disappeared. Um, he had no family, and there was no, no evidence of anything. We can only assume that he was killed and his body was uh, dis disposed of. But today, there are 10 men that he had led to the Lord in that fashion that went down to Addis Ababa, took the, the courses that Burhanu offers, and are now Baptist pastors in Ethiopia. So even though he had a very short ministry, God used him to help uh, lead 10 men into the ministry himself. So religion, I believe, can be an obstacle that Satan uses in his toolbox. Quickly, the last one is government. And I think you may even feel that today with some of the things our government is, is doing to us. Um, it, can actually be worse um, overseas. Because of the time, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but Pastor Abraham, I'm sure Pastor has mentioned that to you, the South Sudanese pastor that's been in the UN refugee camps. Um, he's been suffering because of government oppression in South Sudan. And I'll tell you what I'm going to do. This will be a teaser for tonight. I'm going to have a PowerPoint presentation on several aspects of our ministry. And I've got some pictures of Abraham, his family, and his ministry that I'm going to show tonight. And I will pick up a little bit of this 
uh, when, I, when I show that. So that, come back tonight if you would, and we'll be doing that. But our adversary is using individuals, he's using religion, and he's using government to try to keep people uh, from hearing the gospel. His, his objective is to hide it from those that are lost. We know that he's got a twofold ministry. Our adversary wants to keep us from being saved, and then after he's unsuccessful, then he wants to um, destroy our testimony and hinder us from being effective in sharing Christ, exalting our Savior uh, to the world. So we are subjected much in the same way, maybe not as dramatically as some of these men overseas, but we are. As we conclude uh, in this passage in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8, it says, We're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. All we have to do is keep on keeping on, knowing that we have uh, the Lord behind us, that he is a greater power. And Philippians 1.5 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We can be confident that for whatever purpose God has given us individually in our own ministries to our family, to our friends, to our co-workers, our ministries here in the church, that God will provide all that we need to accomplish what he has for us to do if we just simply remain faithful. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the testimonies of these men overseas, these pastors ministering in out-of-the-way places. We thank you for their stories of, of courage and it encourages me, and I hope uh, all these folks today, and motivates us to be bold in our personal testimony to our neighbors and friends. You promised us the Holy Spirit, and we pray for his power uh, to be faithful in continuing the work that you have begun in us. May we be your light and your testimony to all those we touch. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor.